Now, you noticed the setup is a little bit different than our uh, regular setup. If, if you're new with us this morning, um, this, this is not how we regularly set up, but we thought, okay, on a day where we are talking about what it looks like to commune with one another, what it looks like to be a part of a community, why don't we actually center our day around a table where community can take place, uh, where, where communion with one another can take place. And so uh, I wanna explain, hey, we're not just doing this to be different. Uh, we actually wanna live into what we're inviting, inviting everyone into uh, this, this morning. And I think something beautiful is gonna take place because I'm convinced we learn we learn, uh, I learn probably the most from other people in, in, those, in those contexts. And so I'm excited about what's gonna happen today. We're gonna have some times of teaching interspersed with some times of discussion at the tables. And because we don't normally do this, I just wanna kind of name some ground rules for our times of discussion uh, at the tables. Uh, and so here, just take, take note of these. Um, one, I wanna invite you to speak from a place of honesty. Um, you... you uh, at your best are your most honest self. And I just wanna declare this a judgment-free zone. So there's nothing stupid you can say at the tables. And here's, here's what we're gonna do as a community is we're just gonna say, hey, thank you for speaking that, whatever it is, which kind of bleeds into number two. Uh, I'm gonna invite all of us to be good listeners. Like we all, we all have something to say, but I'm, I'm convinced uh, we learn a lot from just being good listeners. And so this is not a time around tables to correct one another. This is not a time to have the answers. I wanna invite us to just kind of have this posture of listening and learning and growing from one another. Um, third thing, you are allowed to opt out. You're allowed to opt out. If this makes you really, really uncomfortable, uh, if you're thinking like, oh yeah, this is kind of like one of those emails I get, and I'm like, how did I end up on this advertisement? And you're thinking, how did I end up in a church where we're sitting around tables? You have the ability to opt out. You do not have to speak this morning. You have the freedom. Um, if, if this makes you really anxious and you don't wanna speak, you do not have to. But uh, fourth thing I want us to say is speak up and share. So you are allowed to opt out, but um, what you have to say is valuable. Um, you're allowed to opt out, but what you have to say is valuable. And this is, a safe, this is a safe place. This is a safe place around these tables. And so one caveat to this, um, be as concise as you can uh, during, during our times of discussion because uh, obviously they're somewhat limited. And so I wanna invite you, say what's on your heart, say what's on your mind, but uh, be, be as concise as you can. That way everyone gets a chance and an opportunity to, to share what's on, what's on their heart. Um, and so we're gonna jump back in, the Lord's Prayer. It's where we've been the last two weeks, Matthew chapter six. Uh, if you are using uh, one of our Bibles off of one of the tables, actually, we don't have those out today, so never mind. You don't have the ability to use one of the Bibles on one of our tables. Um, Matthew chapter six, you can go ahead and throw it up on the screen is where we're gonna be this morning. Y'all good? You doing all right? Yeah? Everyone really uncomfortable right now? Awesome. I love it. It's going to be fun, I promise. Um, I'll tell you what, we're going to get started at the tables. Rather than me just reading this out loud, one person from your table, read Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Read it out loud so that everyone else can hear. So real quickly, someone step up, read Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13 at the tables, and we'll jump back in together. Way to go. You did it. See, it's not that hard. Someone stepped up. Someone read it. This is, this is going to be a lot of fun. Now, we've looked at this text uh, here in Matthew chapter 6 and the Gospel of Matthew in great detail over the last couple of weeks. 
Um, We've looked kind of each line piece by piece. And what I want to do this morning and where I want to spend our time this morning is by making kind of one simple and yet what I believe is a very profound observation. It's that the entirety of the Lord's Prayer, the entirety of the Lord's Prayer is rooted in this communal and family-oriented language. What's interesting is that Jesus is actually teaching this prayer to be prayed in the private places. So he's teaching this prayer to be prayed in the private places, but when Jesus is teaching this prayer to be prayed on our own, to be prayed by ourselves, he actually has the larger community in mind. He actually has the larger family in mind. This week I was realizing this for the first time, and what I discovered about myself is that I will often make this prayer always personalized. What I end up saying is, okay, now my Father in heaven, but it's not my Father in heaven. What is it? It's our Father in heaven. So even when we're praying this prayer by ourselves, Jesus is teaching us to pray this prayer with a larger community in mind. It's not give, give me my daily bread, it's give us our daily bread. It's not forgive me, God, it's, it's forgive us. And, all, and although he does this on an individual level, even at the heart of this prayer is this, is this community that's in mind, the community of God and his people. Now, I wanna take a moment here before we uh, continue a little bit farther, I actually wanna invite you into a little bit of a, a table exercise. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a few moments and I want you to think about the word community. I want you to think about this word community and I wanna invite you to think about, okay, what comes to mind? What comes to mind when you think about the word community? Um, and when, when you picture community, when you think about this word, what are the adjectives, what are the phrases, what are the different things that come to mind when you picture and think about community? Now, there's no wrong answers here. And what I actually wanna invite us into is just a little bit of a thought exercise. And so we're just gonna popcorn around. We're gonna popcorn around and just name the things that we think about when we think about community. And so take a few moments, nominate someone to be a scribe uh, at your table. There's this poster board. Here, I'll, I'll use this one as an example. There's this poster board here on your table. Take a few moments, someone write them down, take like two or three minutes, think about, just popcorn it out loud, what you think about when you think about community. Words, phrases, adjectives, anything, you have freedom with this. All right, 30 more seconds, spit them out. All right, let's, let's come back together. So, so we, see, we see in the Lord's Prayer, we see in the Lord's Prayer community, this idea that, that we are a part of a community is at the center, is at the center and is at the heart of the Christian life. But I, I wanna name attention. I wanna name attention that I think a lot of people will feel uh, probably even in this room and feel pretty often. It's this tension that, okay, we desire community. I don't think any of us would would be here this morning if we didn't desire community. We desire rich, meaningful relationships. We desire to know and to be known. And so we also on an intuitive level kind of know what community looks like. It just even demonstrated in this exercise that you just did. You have an idea just intuitively, whether it's from your experience or things you've learned, you know, okay, this is, this is what community looks like. This is what community feels like. And people want it. 
People desire it, and yet here's the tension. Very few people are actually experiencing it. Very few people are actually experiencing it on a deep heart level. At the core of who we are, and I just wanna name this truth, at the core of who we are, we are made for deep, we're made for meaningful, we're made for intimate relationships with one another and with God. That, that, is, that is what we were made for. You see, we are made in the image of God. God himself is a relational, is a communal God. We talked about this a few weeks ago. God himself in his being, Father, Son, Spirit. Even God himself is a communal, relational being. And yet, this is the image we're made in. And so few people are actually experiencing what God designed us to experience and made us for, both inside and outside of the church. Now, I've spent just the last month or so like really geeking out and studying this idea of community. And one of the things that I just looked at that I felt like I needed to look at were, hey, what are the roadblocks to community? Uh, what, what are the barriers that are, that are getting in the way of, of people experiencing the community that we were not only made for, but this community that we desire? Because there's a disconnect so often from what, from, from what we want and what we're experiencing. And I want us to realize, hey, there are just some greater things at play. There's some greater things at play that I think are barriers for us to experiencing the community God made us for. Now, these barriers uh, are not things that I just made up. They aren't things that I, I personally saw. I just spent a lot of time looking at thought leaders and people who literally spend their entire life looking at this stuff. And these were the ones that I felt like, hey, I needed to share this morning. There are more barriers than three, but I wanna name three barriers to us experiencing God in community as we were intended to. Now, the first barrier I wanna name is radical individualization. Radical individualism. You see, the, the seeds of this were planted at the very foundation of our country. The very foundation of the Western culture was planted on this idea of individualism. And the thing is, when Jesus was first teaching this prayer to the disciples that we just read, he was speaking to a group of followers that were a part of a culture, a part of a community that um, people much smarter than me, social psychologists, call a collectivist culture. So when he's speaking this prayer to these people, he's speaking to a collectivist culture. Now, you may have heard these terms before. You have individualistic cultures and you have collectivist cultures. And I just wanna take a few moments and just acknowledge the difference between these two cultures. Name a few characteristics of individualistic cultures. Name a few characteristics of collectivist cultures. And I wish we could spend more time here, but this is what we're gonna do this morning. So common characteristics of an individualistic culture. Individual rights take center stage. Independence is highly valued. Being dependent upon others is often considered shameful and embarrassing. People tend to be self-reliant. The rights of the individuals take precedent over others. People often place a greater emphasis on standing out and being unique. Characteristics of an individualistic culture. Now, I don't think I have to say this for 
clarity in this room. The United States is an individualistic culture, right? You probably knew that intuitively. You started hearing those things. I read something this week from from an author named Kendra Curry, and she teaches on this subject. She writes on this subject, and, and this is what she says. She says, in individualistic cultures, people are considered good if they are strong, self-reliant, assertive, and independent. Oh, that's not the quote, sorry. That's the next quote. This one is not up on the screen, so don't look there. Listen to me right now. In individualistic cultures, people are considered good if they are strong, self-reliant, assertive, and independent. This contrasts with collectivist cultures where characteristics like being self-sacrificing, dependable, generous, and helpful to others are of greater importance. Now, I'm not saying, hey, one's good and one's bad. I just want us to understand the very cultural waters that we are swimming in. I I want us to understand the, the cultural waters that we find ourselves in that have been laying the foundation for the past 200 years as a country, as a society. And so this is actually affecting the way that we are experiencing community right now and today. Joseph Hellerman, this is the the quote we'll read in a a book titled, When the Church Was a Family, writes this. And I I wanted to say it, but I was like, we're just gonna read what he says because he he names it really well. Why the marked increase in relational breakdown in our society and in our churches today? I suggest that it is the unique orientation of Western culture, especially contemporary American society that best explains our propensity to abandon rather than work through the awkward and painful relationships we so often find ourselves in. Social scientists have a label for the pervasive cultural orientation of modern American society that makes it so difficult for us to stay connected and grow together in community and with one another. Here's, Here's what they describe this as. Next slide. They call it radical individualism. What it amounts to is simple enough. Keep reading this with me. We in America have been socialized to believe that our dreams, goals, and personal fulfillment ought to take precedence over the well-being of any group, our church or our family, for example, to which we belong. The immediate needs of the individual are more important than the long-term health of the group. So we leave and we withdraw rather than stay and grow up when the going gets rough in church or in home. Does this resonate with anybody? Well, if that doesn't resonate with you, I wanna name the second barrier that I think we face. Mistaking connectivity for community. Mistaking connectivity for community. Okay, we are more connected. We are more connected right now than we ever have been in the history of the world. Whether it's through text, email, social media, all other forms of digital technology, we are more connected than we have ever been. And yet, loneliness is at an all-time high. Record levels of loneliness. And yet we're more connected than we've ever been. Now, don't worry, it's not just an issue here in, in America. Former Prime Minister Theresa May, I don't know if you saw this when she made news, uh, a, few, a few years back when she appointed a minister of loneliness, a new position in the cabinet in the UK, minister of loneliness, to address the ever-increasing problem of loneliness in the UK. So it's not just here, 
It's in other places as well. I listened to this really incredible uh, TED Talk uh, from a woman named Sherry Turkle this week. And the, the title of the talk is pretty applicable for us right now and what we're talking about. It's titled Connected But, but Alone. Connected But Alone. I'm not sure if you've seen this. It's actually back from 2014, but it's pretty mind-blowing. I want to read something she said. She said, human relationships are rich and they're messy and they're demanding. And we clean them up with technology. And when we do, one of the things that can happen is that we sacrifice conversation for mere connection. We shortchange ourselves. When I ask people, this quote continues, what's wrong with having a conversation? People say, I'll tell you what's wrong with having a conversation. It takes place in real time and you can't control what you're going to say. So that's the bottom line. Texting, email, posting, all these things let us present ourselves as we want to be. We get to edit and that means we get to delete and that means we get to retouch the face, the voice, the flesh, the body, everything. We present ourselves, end quote, we present ourselves not as we are, we so often present ourselves as what we want to be. And so there's a few factors working against us experiencing what God intends and desires for us to experience. Number one, radical individualism. And we have to be aware, just be aware of the cultural waters in which we are swimming in and how they're affecting us. Number two, we mistake connectivity for community. It's this reality. Hey, we can spend more time liking photos of someone that we may have never even met before than we spend time in real conversation with a close family or friend. Which brings us, am I just depressing you all right now? <laughs> Barrier three, it's just the reality. Barrier three. We're idealistic about community. Don't worry, we're gonna get to the hope part. We are idealistic about community, idealism. This can cause all sorts of problems for me. I am a just, at my core, a very idealistic person. Uh, last Saturday, I had this great idea of going to the zoo as a family. I was like, all right, Saturday morning, we'll get up. I'll tell you what, we'll grab breakfast. We'll have a picnic breakfast at the zoo as a family. We'll laugh, we'll play, we'll make memories. It's gonna be this amazing day. We'll bring our Polaroid camera. We're gonna like take multiple Polaroid cameras so we can remember this day. Well, because we were crunched for time, we ended up sliding by Burger King for breakfast. And listen, there's nothing wrong with BK. I love, I love BK, but when you have this idealistic view of breakfast, like five daughters donuts, pour over from crema, BK breakfast ends up being just a little bit disappointing. Now, the good news is, is that we saved a lot of money not dipping into Ike's college tuition for donuts and coffee. The bad news is that uh, BK Cine Minis are not quite sea salt chocolate donuts from Five Daughters. BK Joe is not quite a uh, single origin pour over from Crema. I'm a little of a coffee snob, don't judge me. So we get to the zoo, get out of the car, about 30 seconds in, about 30 seconds in, I look like I had basically showered with my clothes on because 95 degree heat with 95% humidity is just not good to who I am. 
Ask me how fun a picnic breakfast at 9.30 in 95 degree heat is. Just ask me. How fun is it, Andrew? Not fun at all. Not fun at all. In fact, it may be the most opposite of fun that I have ever experienced as I drank my hot coffee with sweat pouring down my face and the sun beaming down and I probably being disobedient. All joking aside, all joking aside, I often think we do this with our relationships and our communities. We become far too idealistic. I'm sure a few of you have maybe done it as you like stepped into house church for the first time. You're like, all right, I'm signing up for a house church. Chris Tomlin is gonna be there leading worship. <laughs> Tongues of fire are just gonna fall down. We're gonna be prophesying over one another. Week one, that's what it's gonna look like. And you quickly find out that that's not exactly what it looks like in week Week one, here's, here's the reality. Building genuine community is hard work. It's hard work. And it takes more time than, than we think it's going to take. It's beautiful. It's, it's life-giving. It's, it's what we were made for. But it's often messy and often inconvenient. Now, I could go on and on here talking about inconvenience and how I avoid every inconvenience in my life. And I think the rubber, meets the, mo the rubber meets the road here with commitment. And the reality is, is you cannot have genuine community without genuine commitment. And this will so often keep us from experiencing community as we were made to experience community. Okay, now I want us to spend a few time, I've talked far too long without us discussing at the tables. And what I want us to do is kind of process and react to these barriers at our tables. Which one of these barriers resonated with you? Which one kind of hit close to home? Or maybe there wasn't one of the barriers that I listed. Maybe you have faced a barrier to community that has kept you from experiencing community. And I just wanna invite you to share a barrier that maybe wasn't wasn't listed. So take a few moments at your tables, kind of process these and respond to these um, at your tables. Which one of these most resonated with you? We'll come back here in like three, four, five minutes. So take a few moments to do that. Take, take another minute, kind of wrap up your time. If anyone hasn't gotten to share that wants to share, uh, make sure they get the opportunity to do that. I'm sure I'm gonna <clears throat> cut somebody off. I hate doing that. Um, but I wanna kind of bring us back in together. As, as we come back together, I want to just kind of make an observation uh, about about all these barriers we were just kind of talking and speaking into. Um, at, at the root of all of these barriers, at the root of all these, we can be real scientific about them all, but at the root of all these barriers, I want us to see the, the spiritual reality that, that is at play. You see, the Apostle Paul, he tells us, he says, okay, your battle is not with flesh and blood. Your, your battle is not really in the physical realm. Your battle is in in the spiritual realm. So what's, what's happening here? The, the enemy knows that the power of God 
The power of God is at its greatest when the people of God come together, when the people of God are unified. When the people of God come together, there is this promise. There's this promise. He tells us, hey, when two or more are gathered, there I will be with them. Now, God's with us always, but there is this, there is this power to God and his presence that is special and unique when the people of God are gathered. And so this is a spiritual reality that's at play. And so the enemy knows when the people of God gather, that is when the healing takes place. Like that's when the Holy Spirit is poured out. Whether it's 2,000 years ago in an upper room or in a living room in Nashville, Tennessee, that is where the Spirit of God moves and works and brings restoration and healing and love. And the enemy is aware of this reality and the enemy does his best work to keep us isolated from one another. How many of you have experienced this? Isolation is typically the place where I call, I have my crazy thoughts, where I get away, I get by myself for far too long, I don't have my community to process it with, and I'll think, wow, that person kind of looked at me weird. I think, they, I think they're upset at me. You know what? Actually, they don't like me at all. They hate me. In fact, they were really upset at something I said. I call those my crazy thoughts. And what happens is when I get in isolation for far too long and I don't bring those things to the light in community, I give the enemy far too much power. My worst moments are typically when I'm alone, isolated, hungry, tired. You've probably all been there. Now, Here's the cool news is Jesus himself experienced this reality. Who, who do we look to? Jesus, right? Jesus himself experienced this reality of being alone by himself in silence and solitude for, for 40 days, right? Think about this with me. The only place I think, I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, tell me. But me and Brandon were talking. The only place where you see the enemy directly attacking Jesus and his identity is when he's alone. When he's alone, and you see this over and over and over again in Scripture, Judas, alone, the enemy comes, moves, and works. Okay, so is there a practice in the way of Jesus that speaks to the importance of community and our ability to battle against all of these barriers? As you, as you look to Jesus, as you look at his teachings, you actually never see Jesus use the word community. The word in the Greek is koinonia, and he, he never actually uses this word. But instead, what you see is Jesus actually modeling community. It's so important and close to the heart of Jesus. This is actually how Jesus chooses to live. The Son of God himself, if anybody could live, not in community, it was probably Jesus, right? But Jesus himself steps into communities. He begins to invite his followers to follow him. So think about this. Jesus, during his entire three years of ministry, spent that entire time in community. If we put it in modern language, he basically lived in a mobile co-housing community. Like Jesus himself lived in a co-housing community. He, he would get away, he would pray, but what would he do? He would always come back to his community. He would always come back into those close and vulnerable circles. For Jesus, this was a way of living. 
This, this wasn't checking it off a box on Wednesday nights. Like this was a way of living for Jesus. It was at the core and the heart of who he was. Now I wanna give us a real basic definition and we're gonna close out our time together here in just a few minutes. Real basic definition of community. I actually look to Merriam-Webster because that's like the most basic definition, right? People with a common interest living in a particular area. People with a common interest living in a particular area. So biblical community at its most simple form, at its most simple form, is people you live by that you follow Jesus with. People you live by that you follow Jesus with. Jesus is at the very center of our communities. In a community where we wanna learn to love and to live like Jesus, as Jesus loved and lived, he has to be at the center. It's really amazing, I read this week, some scholars actually uh, will say, hey, the kingdom of God and the community of Jesus are actually the same thing. I heard one time, community is the crucible of transformation. If you wanna become more like Jesus, if you wanna look like him, if you wanna act like him, if you wanna talk like him, put yourself in the heart of a group that desires and longs to look like him and talk like him and act like him. John Mark Comer, a pastor and author in Portland, Oregon, refers to community as Jesus's school of love. Jesus's school of love. I love that definition. If you wanna experience the love of God, if you wanna learn to reflect the love of God to others, place yourself in the ever-refining way of living called community. It's, it's here, it's in community, the crucible of transformation that you will start to live and love like Jesus lived and loved. And it's here that you will find out, hey, this is what I was made for. This is why just the center point of Jesus's life, what Jesus's life would so often come back to, the, the kind of re refining place of Jesus's ministry was the table. It was the table. That's why we're sitting around tables this morning, the table with the bread and the cup. This is where Jesus would often find himself with his disciples, with his followers, with people who were far from him and people that were close to him, this is where Jesus would often find himself in community. You see, the New Testament, this word community was just synonymous with the table. They were just so closely tied together that, that, that you couldn't separate them because it's around the table that the confession of sin would happen. It's around the table that community would begin to form. It's this place of vulnerability, right? It's why, it's why you stepped in here and you immediately felt a little more vulnerable than you would have had we not been sitting around the table. The table, what was the place that you could be your best version of yourself and you could be the worst version of yourself? It's the place that we learn to experience the love of Jesus through the voice and the faces of one another. Knowing that it is here that you will become more like him. It's in these places with vulnerability and accountability that we begin to be transformed more into the image that we desire to be. Now, I actually wanna invite us 
uh, around our tables to, to close out our time uh, before we grab a meal together. Um, just around two, uh, two questions as we get ready to take the bread and the cup. First question. First question. Have you experienced the love of Jesus through another person? How have you experienced the love of Jesus? Through or in another person in your community? And number two, what is your next step in Jesus-centered community? See, each of us, I'm inviting each of us to take a next step. For some of you, it's gonna be signing up for a house church. It's gonna be joining a house church that you've been scared to join for, for far too long. Uh, it's gonna be maybe some of you, you've been a part of a house church, but you haven't been fully yourself in that house church. Maybe you haven't been vulnerable. Maybe you haven't allowed yourself to be accountable in your community. For some of you, it's like, hey, I just, I wanna continue like coming in this place. I've not yet decided if I wanna follow Jesus and you just need to continue to show up time and time again on, on Sunday mornings. So I'll invite us to reflect on those two questions and I'll get back up here in a moment and invite us to take the bread and the cup together. How have you experienced the love of Jesus through another person? And what is your next step in Jesus-centered community if you are willing to share? So let's gather around the tables once again and talk and discuss and reflect upon these. Take another 30 seconds or so, last person talking right now, kind of wrap up your thought. We'll come back together. All right, I hate, I hate to cut anybody off, um, but here, here's the cool thing is we're actually gonna continue our time together uh, over, over a meal. Um, but I wanna invite us all uh, to, to stand up, to grab a piece of bread, to grab a cup, grab a piece of bread, grab a cup of juice. We are, we are united because and through Jesus. Our, our common interest, if you will, our common interest is Jesus. That's what I love about, that's what I love about community is you can have such a eclectic, beautiful group of people. Um, we all have different stories. Uh, we all have uh, different places of hurts and, and joys. And, and yet, remember how Jesus started the prayer, our Father, that makes us brothers and sisters. Um, it's, it's not a matter of if you are a brother or a sister. You, you are a brother. You are a sister. And we get to choose what kind of brothers and sisters we are to one another as the body, body of Christ. So we, we come each week and we center our time and our energy around one, one person, and that's Jesus. And this bread, it represents his body. In this juice, it represents his blood. And, and this, this is why we gather. This is why we gather. Because of the finished work on the cross. Because of the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ through the blood and the body of Jesus. And so, Father, we, we thank you for being our Father. 
And we thank you for uh, uniting us in ways that, that only you could. And so, Jesus, will you help us each to take our next step into the body of Christ, into the community of God? Whatever that next step is, whatever that next step is for each and every person, I just ask by the power of your spirit, you will, you will help every person take that next step. And Jesus, it's in your name that we gather, it's in your name that we pray, and together as a whole church we say, amen. Let's eat the bread and the cup together.